Hello and welcome to the PhD Life Raft podcast. I'm Emma Brzezinski and today I am talking to the wonderful Kaylin Grace Apple. We're talking about YouTube as a supportive space for PhD researchers, but we are also talking about trusting your gut and dreaming big dreams. I love it. Don't forget, if you enjoy the podcast, you can sign up for the weekly notes from the Life Raft to come directly to your inbox. Just click the link in the show notes. But for now, I do hope you enjoy the episode. Kaylin. Hello, how are you today? I am well, thank you very much. Um, I'm very excited to be meeting you. Um, I, I often confess to stalking and I'm going to confess to stalking again. <laughs> watching your work. Um, just loving what you're doing on YouTube and, and we're going to get into that in, um, in a minute. But all, I always ask people, first of all, to tell us a little bit about their PhD journey. So can you tell us a little bit about where you've been, where you are now? Yeah, grab your cup of tea or grab grab a coffee because it's a it's a long winding road on my way to the PhD. But love that. I we love that. <laughs> but I I would say my kind of PhD journey actually starts in an unconventional way because I as a child was very invested in wanting to ride horses professionally. And I, from the age of four, always said that that's what I wanted to do. And pretty much the only subject in school that I had any attention span for was history. And other than that, I was essentially checked out and only was thinking about horses all the time. When I was in high school, I actually had a riding accident where I ended up injuring my back. I had punctured my lung and I came back to school and I was being bullied relentlessly. And I was very depressed and I had a lot of kind of post-traumatic symptoms from the accident. But the one thing that I really wanted was to continue riding horses. And to me, school really didn't feel like a safe place. It felt like a place where I was being tormented and that I didn't belong Mm. and that it was really getting back into riding. That for me was my way of having some control over my life and my relationships. And I didn't have very many friends in school. And so my grades suffered significantly. And I had a lot of trouble with my classes and even with my teachers and I just thought from that point, I was around all these really smart, very driven kids and teenagers and who had parents that were, that were pushing them to the nth degree to get them into the best colleges. And my parents were trying to do the same, but for me, I was like, no, I just, I don't think I'm smart. I don't think I'm cut out for school. I don't enjoy it. I don't like going to school. It's a place that's really painful for me. Mm -hmm. And when I finally managed to graduate high school, I had a very low GPA. I barely, barely got the diploma. And from there I had graduated and I went to my dad and I'd said to him, 
I, I really don't think I can go to college. I really don't think it's for me. I, I think it'll be a very negative experience. I want to ride horses. I have a job offer. I really want to take it. And he said, okay, so the decision that you are making is a, is an adult decision. Mm. And essentially college buys you four more years of, of innocence and support. But if this is what you are choosing, then you're on your own. And that was a big kind of deciding moment because for me, that was when I really learned I had to trust my gut. And it's important to say this and kind of show this, show this arc, because that was the moment where I really asserted that this is what I wanted and this is what I'm going to go get. And so I ended up going and riding and I did everything I possibly could in order to make rent, to pay for my own food. I groomed, I braided horses, manes at the horse shows. I mucked stalls. I did everything possible in order to make it. And I ended up turning pro at 18 and I was competing. I was, I had horses. I had really nice horses that clients were letting me ride and compete on. And I basically had accomplished all the things that I had thought I would spend my entire life doing by the age of 18. Wow. Wow. And I was away at some horse shows. I had been away for like five weeks and I was, it was my best set of horse shows. I was like the top of my, my stage of performance. And I remember coming home from the horse show one day and thinking to myself, this cannot possibly be it. Like this cannot be the rest of my life. I, I love the horses. I love the training, but something, something is missing. There's something Mm -hmm. in my gut telling me I've reached the end of the road. Mm -hmm. And I had a conversation with one of my really trusted clients who was in a way like, like a mother figure to me in the horse world. And I remember we, we went on a walk and she said, you're too smart. You like, you're too smart to be in this industry. And I can see you struggling. Why don't you go back to school? And I said, I'm not smart enough. I I won't do well. And she's like, just try, like, why not? take the the drive and the commitment that you've had to your riding career and just see what you can do. Mm. And so I went back, I enrolled in community college and I remember I was taking some classes and I was like, ah, like I am not quite getting it. I'm still struggling. I really don't know how to study. And I went to YouTube and I watched hours and hours and hours of YouTube videos on how to study. And all of these things are important, like little tidbits to to say, because they all kind of culminated in in where I am now with my PhD and with my social media presence. But YouTube was really what gave me the support that I never got in high Mm. school and I couldn't find a community college. And so I started watching YouTube. I started studying better. I had more effective study skills in that I was focusing on retention. I was focusing on asking questions where I needed help and my grades just rapidly improved. And I was still riding. I was still competing full-time and I was taking full-time credits at my community college. I was doing night classes, online classes, anything I could do. But even at that point, I wasn't totally set on staying in school. I was like, well, this is like good. It's, I'm getting myself educated. It's 
taking up some space in my brain. I'm feeling more fulfilled, but it was when I had a, I had another riding accident when Mm -hmm. I was, I think I was 20 and I had to have surgery and I was going to be out of the saddle for five months. And I had tied so much of my identity to my riding and Mm -hmm. I turned, I just kind of looked inward and I said, well, what do you want? Mm -hmm. Because if this, if this is possibly the end of your riding career, or if something like this happens again, what do you have that you really want to do? And I was recovering from surgery and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to enroll in some history classes. I really liked history back when I was a kid. I will just see how that goes. And I started taking history classes and I took one on race, ethnicity, and immigration in the United States. And that class and the readings that I was doing outside of class essentially was my aha moment. Nice. I realized nice. that if I could keep studying this, I, I would be incredibly happy. I'd feel very fulfilled. Right. And so I went to a guidance counselor at the, at the community college. And I said, I want to transfer to a four-year university. I gave her the list. I said, I really wanted to go to William Mary to study colonial America. And they said, there's no way you're getting into a, a top school. Like there's no way you're getting into a, a good college. So you might as well like set your sights a little lower, go to, go to a local state school. Um, and just see what you just see what you can do with that. And I remember having this feeling leaving the meeting and I was like, I think they're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, I like you very much. (laughs) I, I, there was something about it where I was like, I just, I don't think that's right. I don't think that, because she basically said it's not even worth applying. And I just said to myself, you know what? Everything I've ever done was a long shot. I'm just going to say, screw it. I'm just going to apply. And so I applied to 13 schools and one of them was UCLA. And I remembered uh, submitting that application and thinking to myself, there's no way, there's no way in hell I'm getting into these schools. But I watched YouTube videos. I looked for strategies on how to write the essays. And I just threw everything I possibly could into writing the best applications that I knew how. And then I got in and I had to do, I had to do a bit of a a look at myself and say, okay, what do you, what do you want to study? What do you want out of this? And ultimately I I just said, you know what? I want to study history. I want to study law. I, something's telling me to study early America. So I'm just going to do it. And at the time I thought I was going to go to law school afterward. And I knew that with the grades that I had from community college, which on average were very low for the standards of UCLA admits, I knew that I was going to have to hit the ground running at UCLA, get research experience, get letters of recommendation, and all of those things if I ever wanted the shot of getting into law school. And so I started enrolling in, in seminars. I started trying to develop relationships with professors. And somewhere along the way, I really fell in love with the research aspect of studying history. And I realized that it wasn't necessarily the law. It was the history of law that was really fascinating to me. And I couldn't let it go. And when I was a senior, I 
went to my advisor for my thesis and I said, there's something in my gut telling me there's something that says I need to go to grad school. And I had obviously had a career before this. I had thought about it long and hard. I knew I wasn't making the decision because I was scared of going out into the quote unquote Mm -hmm. real world. Mm -hmm. And I remembered he asked, okay, well, where do you want to apply? And I said, I really want to study at Oxford or Cambridge. And he was like, I mean, it's a long shot, but okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I looked online for resources on how to apply to grad school and I couldn't find anything. I could find like little bits and pieces of people that had written blog posts. There was a few content creators that were more in the STEM space. And luckily I had a lot of really great young mentors that were really they were early career professors. And so I went to them for advice and they, they gave me the, the straight scoop on how to go about it. And so I, I spent, I agonized over that, that application to make sure that it was as good as it possibly could be. And by some miracle got into Oxford and I knew, I knew that I was going to use that I was going to leverage that experience in order to apply to the U.S. PhD programs because I knew how competitive they were and I knew the type of research that was being done. I did a ton of research on the different sites and seeing what current graduate students were doing and all of that. And I applied to PhD programs. And again, it was one of those situations where I was like, well, it's a long shot. It's very possible (laughs) I won't get in but I'm going to say, screw it. And I'm just going to do it anyway. (laughs) And I applied to, I applied to my dream schools and the first school I heard back from was Yale and it was the yes. And that's how I wound up in my PhD program. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I love it. I love it. I love this story for so many reasons. I've just been writing things down if you've been saying it. Oh, it's got so many of my favourite themes in. First of all, it's a love story, which I always love um, because I'm a romantic and I'm a dreamer (laughs) and I love romantic dreamers. I love it because when you're a dreamer, stuff can happen, right? And this this thing of of the long shot, of the dream, just the power of that is amazing. Um, And I love you trusting your gut, that theme that's coming through um and because we're not culturally encouraged to do that mm-hmm. um in fact we're encouraged to sort of listen to the lady on the bus rather than to our own <laughs> intuition yeah. about things and I, I just love that you took inner guidance and um said I don't think you're right actually I think I'll give, listen to myself instead <laughs> yep um, <laughs> And that you asked yourself, what do you want? What a powerful question that is. Um, Just all together, brilliant. And and also I think what's brilliant, because you said this is a long and and winding story, and I I just love that as well, the testament of that, because I think so many people think, oh, my PhD story is kind of meandering and I kind of did this and I kind of, and it's like, that's really, really common and actually is really, really beautiful because yes. the, the, the threads of that story, as you say, bring you to where you are now. And we're going to talk about that just in a minute, but this, oh, gorgeousness, gorgeousness. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so so where you are now, 
YouTube appears in this in this in this love story. Yes. Um, and yes, it does. now you are a YouTuber, and this is how I found you. And um, people may not know that there's loads of brilliant information out there for PhDs on YouTube. Um, and I'm going to have the links to your to your channel in the in the um, show notes. But can you tell us a little bit about being a PhD YouTuber? What what is that? How do you do that? In yeah. terms of in terms yeah. of what do you do and what do you offer for people? What can people find out there? Yeah. So when I got started, I remember I was about to go to Oxford and I was looking online for resources on what my life was going to be like. I just wanted, I just wanted to know, okay, like how much do they study? Do they have a social life? Like what, what is grad school even like? And Mm -hmm. I looked all over the internet. I looked over, I specifically looked on YouTube and I had only found one video of a grad student that was studying humanities. Other than that, it was a lot of STEM and Mm -hmm. I was just thought to myself, well, nobody's doing this and I'm looking for this type of content. I imagine that at some point, someone is going to look for this kind of content also. And so I just created the content that I wanted to see on the internet. And I first started making informational videos about the transfer process and community college access and that kind of thing. And then I just wanted to get comfortable in front of the camera. And then I wanted to record my time at Oxford. I wanted to have a catalog of it. And Mm. I envision my YouTube as a visual diary. I mean, I go back when there's times when I'm missing my friends or I'm feeling nostalgic or I, I need to remind myself of why I'm doing this. I go back and I watch my videos from when I was at Oxford And when I was starting my PhD and it's not just for the viewers, I really do this because I want something to look back on and it's something that's really special. And I create content that is both about my personal life as a PhD student and what my day-to-day looks like, but also to provide information for future graduate students or people that are even just interested in what a PhD is meant to be like and provide that expertise. Because while I was applying, as I said, I really focused on strategy. And so I ended up building a business called Accepted Consulting, which focuses on grad admissions. And I use my channel as a way to provide essentially a free resource to people that just want the information, but they don't necessarily have the time or maybe don't have the the finances in order to work with someone one-on-one, but they just need the, the support and the resource. Mm-hmm. And so I want my channel to be one of those resources. And there's also a huge community that has now just blown up over time since I started there's people like PhD in productivity, her name's Kiara, and there's yes. like Holly Woods and on all of these guys who are on YouTube alongside me. And I, I watch their content. We communicate with one another. We communicate about brand deals and what to negotiate and all of those things. And I think that all of that is just so valuable. And I'm happy to talk about how it also works alongside my actual research, but I think that the type of community and the the outlet that it's provided for myself and for others 
and for our viewers, I think is just, it's just so special and I don't really know what to compare it to. Yeah, no, I think it is really gorgeous. And this sense of demystifying what's going on. I think there's a big question that I often get asked in terms of what do PhD students do all day? What do we do? What are other people doing? I'm doing this. Is this the right thing? What are other people doing? And I love that you just show (laughs) us, you show us what's going on for you in a very generous spirit and open way. Um, And as you say, there's a kind of demystification. There's an education element to it in terms of, you know, you can do this, we can do that. You can apply in this way, you can apply in that way. And as you say, this sense of community, and I think that people, you you also do that people can work alongside you and be with you yep. in space. So I think that I really would recommend if people haven't had a had a look at um, the YouTube space as a as a space of potential support on your PhD journey, would totally recommend it. And you've you've given some shout outs. I know Kiara has been on the the um, podcast too. We've been very lucky to have her. Um, so I think this this um, the, this sense of there are good people out there who will be of help and really interesting too so I'm aware I'm aware of time blimey it's gone it's gone it's gone quickly this one yes it Um, has so I always ask people for um a top tip which I recognize and always confess that this is unfair but um I wonder (laughs) if you have anything that that you'd kind of offer as um top tip or top tips Yeah. So the primary thing that I always want people to get from my YouTube videos and the top tips that I try to share with anybody in my life is you have to figure out how to do it your own way. You have to do it for yourself and you have to figure out what works for you because you can sit there and look at the systems that work for someone else. And it might not work for your brain. It might not work for the way you learn. It might not work for your degree of focus we all function differently. We all have different passions. We all have different mannerisms and you have to play to your strengths and you have to try different systems to figure out what works for you. And I think what's really incredible and unique about the YouTube space is that all these people are showing you, giving you examples of what works for them. And sometimes I think that it can be taken the wrong way as that this is exactly what you should be doing also. But I try to stress that what works for me may not work for you or try these things and see if it works for you, but it might not. Um, And you have to do it your way. And the PhD is a long winding roller coaster of a journey. But the other thing is it's, it requires so much resilience and it requires so much patience and Mm -hmm. diligence And in order for you to stick with it, you have to do it for yourself and you have to figure out what systems work for you and for your research. Because ultimately at the end of the day, it's your education, it's your doctorate, and it's ultimately going to be your dissertation in the end. Love that very much. Kaylin, thank you so much for all of that. Thank you for the work that you do. Um, and as I say, I'll have the I'll have the links in the show notes for people. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you all for listening. Mm-hmm.